0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis. And I'm Helen Tupper. And you're listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Every week, we talk about a different topic to do with work and discuss practical ideas and actions that we hope will help you to find your way through our squiggly world of work.
2: And as you'll know, if you're a regular listener, the past few months for Sarah and I have meant quite a lot of time working and getting ready for our TEDx talk, which is now live and you can watch it and you know, go to Instagram at Amazing If and you'll find that if you haven't seen it. We would love, love to get your feedback. But I think for us, that was a something we'd wanted to do for a long time, but it was also quite A good development thing for us to really think about how do we simply craft a message you know you've got a very specific time limit you have to remember it you want other people to remember it and the TEDx London Women team were just amazing in helping us to craft that talk and keep us motivated and give us really really good feedback to make sure it was the talk that we wanted it to be and we thought that there was a lot of their experience and wisdom that they shared with us for that talk was actually also really relevant to how you do presentations at work because obviously we're not you know no one's doing TED talks all the time and you know we don't present like that all the time but there was a lot that we learned that we have applied like we kept coming back to making our messages simpler I think since then and even in our writing some of the things that we've learned about how to craft a message have influenced how we write for our book for example so what we wanted to do was share some of that wisdom with you and rather than us do it we thought we'd bring the experts in so today you're going to hear from Marianne Pasha who is the director of TEDx London and she's going to share with us her insights and advice about how to apply some of the things that she's learned from TED to more of our day-to-day reality at work whether it's a presentation on Zoom or at some point when we're back in a room with our colleagues how can we apply those insights Mariam not only curates and directs all of the TEDx London speaker events, she's also the founder of X Equals, a business that specialises in speaker coaching, pitch coaching and event production. Before we get started, we did just want to let you know about two other podcasts that we have both been enjoying. Sarah, do you want to go first? I think we've got very different ones.
1: Of course. So Jimmy McLaughlin, who has been a guest on our podcast, he's a former 10 Downing Street advisor. You might have heard me talk before about his podcast, which is called Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. And he's got a second series out now. And he interviews some really interesting entrepreneurs. And the thing that I found most fascinating, I was chatting to him last week, is that from his first series, people like Bulb and Decoded, those organisations who were interviewed, have actually recruited people directly as a result of the podcast. And I thought that must be such a brilliant feeling that you're having such a positive impact in terms of helping people to think about the roles that might be available, understand a bit more about companies that perhaps they've not heard from before. And in this series, he's going kind of even further afield across the UK, interviewing people like Graphcore, Starling Bank, Octopus Ventures. They're always really fascinating conversations where I think I learned something about a new sector, how it works, the sort of jobs that are coming along in those areas. So if you have a spare half an hour, I definitely recommend giving it a listen.
2: And my recommendation is the podcast Delicious Ways to Feel Better, which is hosted by Ella and Matthew Mills. I'm actually a massive fan of Ella Mills. I have like every single one of her (laughs) recipe books. It's very, it's very my food. And it really is. (laughs) It really, it really is my food. Energy balls and granola. If I could exist off that, I will. They actually don't talk much about energy balls and granola. They talk much more about mental and physical health on the podcast. It's everything from routines. They've got a really good podcast about routines that's just been released, and they've also talked talk about relationships it's a really broad spectrum but it's all about i think at its simplest it's about like helping people cope some of it's with work some of it's with life they do things on body image they do things on stress but i think they just have a really obviously there's a really nice dynamic in a husband and wife team but they also just have a really honest friendly and open conversation so if you think that maybe you haven't listened to it before or that sort of thing sounds interesting you can just find that wherever you find squiggly you can find delicious ways to feel better We'll be back at the end of today's episode to tell you a little bit more about the Squiggly Career Advocates Awards that we've got running at the moment. So if you don't know about that, make sure you listen to the end because we have got some brilliant things for 100 people, really exciting awards program that we are running. But I suppose we should get started and introduce Marianne. Marianne, welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And we thought that it might be an interesting start to kind of bust a few myths about TED Talks, because I think there were some things that I thought going into the experience of doing a TED Talk that I was like, oh, that's not actually how it works. So I've got um, a few true or false statements for you, for you to let us know. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first one, true or false, you have to be a brilliant and experienced presenter to do a TED Talk. Like you've got to be great or you're not to on.
3: false, false, false. <laughs> Tell, yeah, us more, tell us more, tell us more. Definitely a preconception people have. And there's also this definite mythology around being a great speaker, that it's something, you know, you're charismatic, it's natural, It you just have it or you don't have it. And it's just another way of gatekeeping, I think, for influence and for power and for, you know, all those kinds of things. So actually people are not polished at the very beginning. And I actually have to say that I most enjoy working with speakers who don't have it like perfectly, who don't come to the first meeting saying, I've got my draft ready. Cause those are actually the hardest to work with. It's ones who are <laughs> saying, I've got a great idea. I've done all these years of work. I can think I know what I want to talk about. I'm a bit nervous, let's work on this together. But yet, whether you see TEDx speakers or TED speakers, even for experienced speakers, that journey is epic to get them to that stage. So here's another
2: one for you. This is one that threw me a little bit. True or false? Everyone who does a TEDx talk is reading from an auto cue.
3: Yeah, this is something that really tripped me up as well in the beginning because I was confused as to why speakers were even asking. But actually, no, there's no auto cue. It's totally false. It's all up in your head, and you can see that sometimes because some TED speakers very rarely do actually have their scripts on stage, and so there's absolutely yeah, no auto cue. All memorization.
2: One more for you. True or false. You've got to have like slides or images and things behind you for it to be an impactful talk. This is
3: absolutely false. And this is one that I get quite a lot. We're so used to using visuals and slides, and they're definitely seen as a crutch, I think, for speakers, when actually sometimes you just doing the storytelling is so much more powerful. And so I would really ask speakers, are the slides for you or are they for your audience?
1: But are there some things, Mariam, that you see and that you go, but there are certain qualities or characteristics that do make... For just a really good and compelling presentation like what
3: are the things that you do look for so yeah there are definitely some principles even though there's like no one way to be a great tedx or a ted speaker there are definitely some principles we look at when we're looking at the actual content of those talks and the first one and i think the one that is guiding for all of this type of format is that you have one core idea one core idea that is your through line that connects everything in your talk together and that is what you want the audience to walk away with remembering. What I think distinguishes TED and TEDx style talks from others is that they are strict on that. You know, They don't let you go off on loads of tangents and round lots of corners or try to fit too much in. And if you are strict about that principle, that's how you can do something compelling in such a short amount of time.
1: And how do you talk to people about that process of like what to keep and what to let go, because it will all feel, and I remember from us going through this process and the many, many drafts that we did, what to keep and what to let go is so hard. It's kind of that how to see the wood
3: from the trees. Uh, So true. This is one of the things that does make you a better speaker over time is not actually the speaking or even the writing. It's the editing and the curation. It's that becoming an expert chooser of what you keep in and what you keep out. There's a couple of things I always say to speakers. One of them is this is not the last time you're ever going to (laughs) speak. You don't have to fit everything in, right? Like there's this thing of like, this is my one chance to say everything (laughs) I've ever wanted to say. You definitely don't have to do that. But also it will become more difficult for you as you start to keep it within the time, if you have too much in there. So actually the content gives you that signal to say, and you saw this in the rehearsals, there are a few speakers where what we came to as a realization as a group was that this was actually two talks put together. And the minute you unmeshed them, it became much more manageable to tell that story within the 12, 15, whatever your time limit is. And so when people
1: are thinking about presenting as part of their jobs, what are the sorts of skills that you can see also with the work that you do that can really help people if you're thinking I do have to present at work and I really feel like it's not something I'm kind of very good at what what are the skills that people can start
3: to think about? This is kind of what I spend the rest of my time doing is taking some of the lessons I've learned working with amazing TED and TEDx speakers and bringing them into the workplace. What I just mentioned around this one core idea, this is where I start also. So let's say you're in a work context and you're speaking in public. I mean, that's what I really think of as like the broadest definition. Any important conversation, networking event, presentation, it's not just about standing in front of a big group of people on a red carpet, right? you can start with thinking, what is my one core message here? Like, What is my one core idea? What do I need the person I'm speaking to to walk away with remembering from what I've said? Then there's a couple of like points around that can help you. Think about your audience as well, especially in a work context. Why are they listening? Why are they there? What are their priorities? And how can you make them care about the thing you want them to care about, right? How do you bring those two worlds together? And then there's the fourth point is around storytelling. Bring your more abstract ideas to life with storytelling, so that people have like something to hook onto. You, if you want people to remember you, they're going to remember a story rather than this kind of standalone abstract idea. So, use the story, the example, the analogy to bring that to life. It will make it more memorable, and it will make it easier for you to get people to really walk, you know, leave doing what you want them to be doing, thinking about what you want them to be thinking about. Yeah, and I think so often the kind of
1: temptation at work is we're trying to communicate so much all at the same time and we think perhaps we've got a limited amount of time with these people, perhaps you're presenting to some senior people and you think, right, I've got to get through all these 10 points and if I don't get through every slide, I've not done a very good job. And I think if we can sort of release people from that and kind of go, what's the one thing? In a week's time, when I ask these people, what do you remember about what I said? they're probably only going to remember one thing. So what I actually just need to do is a really good job of communicating that one thing, of showing that I care about that thing and trying to bring it to life through examples. And again, I think storytelling sometimes gets misinterpreted a bit as I need to craft this incredible story. And that can feel really daunting. And I think, you know, the word storytelling feels quite big. Whereas I think what we're talking about is just small examples
3: a lot of the time that just show people what you mean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had this like shocked moment once where someone was working actually with some coaches and some public speaking, and they were trying to teach everyone to fit their idea into the hero's journey. And I just thought to myself, this is just like, why would you do this to people? This is so hard. An epic hero's journey that people, you know, that some of the best writers in the world struggle to write on. And you're trying to get this poor person who's writing about their <laughs> quarterly report to fit it into I'm the a hero's hero. journey. I'm this like,
1: report. I'm an absolute you hero.
3: Know? Right. Like that is not what it's about. There are loads of structures and things you can learn. But really, it is that it's what brings what you're saying to life. A case study, even a piece of data is a great way to do that, right? Storytelling is like one of those other words that I always have to define when I'm working with people is it's not just fictional. This thing happened to me and now I'm going to, or like a direct personal experience. It can be all these other things.
1: So
2: can we talk a little bit about presenting in confidence? I don't think that all TED or TEDx speakers start off as like super confident presenters, right? Some of them, and, and I can see that in the rehearsals that we did. Some people are nervous from the outset and they haven't had... They've got the story and they've got the idea and they've got the passion, but not, they don't start confident. So how, in your experience, does someone go from being a nervous presenter or somebody that has that as a confidence gremlin to somebody that can stand on that red spot, talk to an audience confidently about their story? What, is, there a, is there a process or is it just practice?
3: Yeah, this is that thing about, are you just a naturally great speaker if you do, Ted? This is another thing that we definitely work on. So for me, confidence is two things. One is knowing what you're talking about and feeling confident in your content. It's part of the reason why we work so hard to make sure those scripts are really tight for speakers so that they're not paying attention to what they're saying anymore. They know it well enough that they can now start paying attention to how they're saying it. But you can't go straight to the how. You have to start with the what. For me, at least, content is everything, right? I recently rewatched, Malcolm Gladwell's one of his first talks on it was a happiness choice and spaghetti sauce I think it's called oh man like talk about unbelievable you know here's this guy he looks like he hasn't slept in a year right he or brushed his hair like and I love Malcolm Gladwell no no shade he is on a stage that looks like it's someone's garage full of wires and crap everywhere the quality is terrible It's like almost unwatchable from today's standards of 4K HD. And then he starts talking and his content is so compelling that you listen to all 18 minutes of it without thinking once, well, when is this gonna end? It doesn't matter all that other stuff, right? The content is so compelling. So you have to start with the content. You have to know your content. If you are worried about confidence, start there. Start with the thing you can control. And then then you move on to the how and the kind of outward things. And the first thing I always say to people is you are not speaking to a room full of sociopaths, <laughs> right? You are not speaking to people who are sitting there willing you to fail, even if only because they want to have a good experience. Even if it's a selfish reason, no audience sits there and thinks, oh, I can't wait till this person just falls <laughs> apart on stage and starts <laughs> crying, you know? So then there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with nerves and from breathing to having a mantra to building a little ritual for yourself. Start with the content, realize that those people are probably just saying, oh, it's really brave of this person to get up there and speak. And then also realize that all that stuff you often feel on the inside, the heart racing, the voice, people can't see it from the outside. It's all up here. So sometimes you just have to power through it and then realize after a while of doing it, that no one actually sees any of that stuff. I still get it. I mean, five minutes before every TEDx London event goes live that I'm hosting, I have this moment, like someone's kicking me in the stomach and I think, oh, this was a terrible idea. (laughs) Why (laughs) Why did I agree to do this again? Like, whoa, and I feel like I'm gonna throw up. and And I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years, but I know that that is how I feel five minutes before. I let it pass. And, I, you know, I do my thing. Maryam. I'm really interested to know.
1: I think people often don't struggle necessarily with preparing for presentations, especially when they're nervous, because what's our response to being nervous? I'm going to over-prepare, if anything. You know, we, we're going to put all of our energy and effort into that. And I think people would, I think some of the things that we've talked about will help people with, well, how do you helpfully prepare versus over-prepare? And I think there's probably a difference. What happens if you are, whether you're in a team meeting with four people or whether you're presenting to 50 people for the first time, you forget your words, you do forget what you're going to say, or you stumble. And so for me, just to give an example, often when I, if I stumble or get something wrong, I go red, I blush naturally, I, I'm a blusher. And so I also have a physical reaction. And you can never anticipate it, because you never know you're going to forget it. But maybe you make a mistake, or just something goes a bit wrong, or something throws you, essentially. And then in that moment, like, what would you say to people in terms of how do they recover? and keep going because I think that's one of the things that people really fear people can anticipate all of the scenarios that what could go wrong what might go wrong and I think that also contributes to this fear that people have what can people do like in that moment something goes a
3: bit wrong how do we respond there's like internal and external things you can do internally it's really important not to beat yourself up because that is going to throw you off even more So not getting angry at yourself for making a small mistake, right? We're not robots. It's actually very human to stumble and it's better. there's a reason we find like robotic voices slightly disarming, they don't make any mistakes, they never pause, they never go, um, like, so actually, You have to do whatever work you need to do, which is often tied up with a lot of other stuff, which I'm sure you've covered in other episodes around not beating yourself up. Everything else I'm gonna tell you right now doesn't work if you're beating yourself up. That's number one, right, internally. Oh, then you have your like strategies. The first one is always have a safety net somewhere, right? An index card, a set of notes. Depending on the situation you're in, they can be in a pocket, they can be on a lectern, they can be on the table knowing that's there often stops you from worrying so just have it there and then in that moment i got a really good advice from a friend of mine who's also a public speaking coach he said you can't jump over a ravine from the very edge and when you stumble that's what happens like a ravine is created in your content and you can't just stand at the edge thinking oh what's next like i need to jump over it take a few steps back in your mind and just rerun the last thing you said and while you're doing this mentally you can take a breath or have a drink of water or walk a little bit like the momentary pause to take a breath or to have a drink of water seems like like you know ages for you <laughs> an eternity a, an eternity for you and a moment for the audience in fact often the audience is glad that you've given them a moment to catch up with everything you've said so actually it sounds very planned so It's this combination of having a strategy in place of what you're going to do if you stumble that can help you actually not do it in the first place and then not panic if it happens. Like, you know, Sarah, you said you turn red. I always say like, okay, so you turn a bit red, right? I always actually think, no, people don't realize this, but nerves are a secret weapon. People are not hateful by and large. So nerves can be really endearing. Whenever I see someone who's nervous visibly, present, I think what they're saying is more important than them. What they're saying is more important than their own nervousness. So they're doing this despite it. When you see people who are really egotistical and love the sound of their own own voice, that's way worse than being a bit nervous.
2: Can I ask a question about practicing? Because I think you can't practice all the presentations you're going to do, but some of the really big ones you might want to practice. And we practiced a lot with you in the team and we got (laughs) (laughs) a lot, a lot. lot. (laughs) And also we got a lot of feedback and it was really helpful feedback. It was honest and it was clear, you know, and it helped us to improve. And we also asked some other people for feedback as well. Like we, we shared our talk, like a version of it on WhatsApp and some people that we trusted gave us feedback. If somebody wants to give someone feedback on a talk, like if you're going to practice it and you're going to give someone feedback, what do you think you've learned about giving feedback to people in a way that can help them? Because obviously it's quite sensitive. It's quite vulnerable to practice and get feedback from someone. And you give feedback to so many people. So how do you do it well in a helpful way for
3: people? Two things. First of all, I would just say that me giving feedback is different than other people giving feedback. I know that sounds like awful, but... Like your personal trainer giving you tips on how to do whatever it is that you might want to do in the gym, whether that's like fitness or strength or whatever, is going to be different than your friend saying, hey, I saw this cool video, right? So I always do say to people like, I'm going to give you both advice and feedback because I've seen hundreds of talks and I'm going to do it in a way that works. But I always say when you're asking for feedback from others who don't do public speaking as their day to day. Don't ask them for advice. Ask them questions like Did I hold your attention? Where did your attention waver if it did? Could you follow my train of thought? What is the key thing you took away from this? Were there too many examples or not enough? So, do you see those kinds of questions are more about your experience as a listener than they are advice for what you would do if you were speaking, which is the most way people give feedback, which I think actually. And the reason I'm so angry about this is because it's incredibly derailing and I see it happen to speakers. Like sometimes I'll work with a speaker, we'll have this incredible piece of content. They'll be like, i am be like, okay, go get some feedback, use these guidance questions, etc." They'll go and they'll come back and the talk is, becomes a mess. And I'm like, what happened? And they're like, oh, well, this person told me that this was important and that I should do it this way and that this bit needed more of this, so I should do it this way. And then, and I was like, okay, but they're not speaking, you're speaking. So feedback, when you're asking for it, ask for the things that the listener is experiencing. And when you're giving it, give feedback as a listener, not as the writer or the speaker of the content.
1: So before we get to best pieces of career advice, which we always ask our guests, we thought we can't really do this episode without talking about our favourite TED Talks, which I actually think might be the hardest question we've ever asked a guest, because clearly there are so many brilliant ones. I think I've changed my mind about 10 times, even though I wrote this question, I was like, we should definitely put this question in. And then I was like, oh but I don't really want to answer it because it's too hard. So That's such a Sarah thing to write a question <laughs> and then be like then to overthink the answer. Yeah, that is, it is very it's very low. <laughs> uh,
3: so we'll make you go first, Marion. What's your favourite TED talk? If you had to pick one. Right. Okay. Uh I have one. I'm gonna tell you that I update mine every few years. Okay. Because there's no <laughs> point like, you know, there are classics and they're everyone's favourite. Okay. I would say in the last couple of years, the favorite one I have is called How to Deconstruct Racism One Headline at a Time. And it's by this incredible speaker named Baratunde Thurston. It is about race in America, but it's more than just about that. There's so much in this talk from the way it's structured to the way that visuals are used so effectively in a way that I've kind of never seen have so much power to the storytelling, to the vulnerability and honestness to the fact that it really gives you a way of questioning the way race is talked about in society and in the headlines in a very practical almost like you know how racism there's like that overt racism and then there's that kind of insidious stuff that we don't even always know how to pick out it helps you pick that stuff out and and I think it's just amazing
1: so that sounds like a must watch Helen what's yours Mine is Liz
2: Gilbert doing the talk around your elusive creative genius. And I think I read her book, Big Magic, before I watched her talk. And it sort of, it feels like the precursor to her book, Big Magic. But what I love about it is she comes on stage and she's kind of like, her hair is a bit messy. And she's got this like giant black jumper. Like she's not thought I'm speaking on a TED stage and I need to really like have this amazing outfit. She just goes on that stage and she just sort of talks her truth, I would say, about creativity and where it comes from and how you have to catch it when it comes because it's like this gift. And I watch it and I love her and I love what she says and it just makes me want to go and write and do something creative. It like you watch it and it sparks creativity. It's brilliant. I love it.
3: Makes yeah, you I feel do. optimistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. And I think that mine is sort of a more know, it's a more practical one. But certainly I really like it. And to your point, Mariam, I think I go, not maybe one from all of TED Talks, but in the last couple of years, I've watched and rewatched, which is called "The Human Skills That We Need Right Now" by Margaret Heffernan, and she's done actually quite a few TED Talks, and I think it's because I want to be her. So <laughs> I, I think want I to think be I've be chosen someone. <laughs> and so I mean, she doesn't really probably know this, but I came across her work, was introduced to her. We actually did have her on the podcast in lockdown one, as the pandemic started, talking about Uncharted, her book. I think the experience I've had with her is, you know, the more you read, watch and listen to someone, the bigger fan you become. And the more you feel that the work that she does is incredibly powerful. And even just talking to her, you know, when you, because you've seen behind the scenes, I also know that she's just an incredibly good person. Because when I interviewed her start of the pandemic, she was like, oh, I'm also doing food. She was supporting all the food collection, you know, for the local area to make sure that vulnerable people who couldn't get out and about. So she was like, Oh, yeah, I'm just like writing this book and then doing all this incredible stuff. Yeah, I'm just going to go and help like Doris down the road and this. And I was like, oh, okay. So you're basically running your village that you live in in England. You've been a CEO in Silicon Valley and you've done all this work that's kind of really powerful. So I think, yeah, with Margaret Heffernan, I sort of watch it and go, that's who I want to be when I grow up.
3: I would like to also be her Sarah alongside oh. you. I totally, Maybe together. <laughs> I love her and I got to see her deliver her last talk live. Did you? And I, because I'm not a geek about famous people, like I don't, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But I have like geeky people that I'm like, I get starstruck around and she was one of them. And when she came on stage, I just was kind of like gripping the handles of my chair, just being like, oh my God, this is one of my favorite people. So yeah, yeah I'm so glad so to be She's all around amazing. And then just to
1: finish, really interested to know if you were to give our listeners a short piece of career advice either some advice that you've been given that's really stuck with you or just when you get asked this question which I'm sure you do actually by lots of people something that you think just will help people to navigate their squiggly career that a little bit better
3: okay mine is probably a bit out of left field but
1: we love a bit of left field
3: advice choose who you decide to spend your life with very very carefully and I think this is especially true for women, having the wrong life partner can really derail you and limit you. And I see it all around me. But having someone who supports you and believes in you and you don't even believe in yourself and sees that potential and champions you I know that I would not be where I am with my business today if my partner had not seen in me something that I couldn't even conceive of in myself at that time. And it's not that he did the work. I obviously did the work. But <laughs> he created so many opportunities for support, and I felt like I could ask him for that. And so I think, especially with younger women, I would say, like, choose who it is. I've spent plenty of time with my li- in my life with people who would have very happily limited my career to advance theirs.
1: Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope you found that episode useful and that you got some hints and tips that you can apply into your day-to-day role, whether you're doing a TED Talk or not or whether you plan to do a TED Talk or not. If you have five minutes to do us a quick favour, of course, we'd love you to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. We're at 493 ratings, which... I don't like as a number. It's too much of an odd number. I need us to get to 500. So seven people. I need seven people to go on and give us a review or a rating. Please, if you wouldn't mind. Please. (laughs) That was was a very genuine please. I was scanning through our reviews and somebody has even said, I hope this gets you closer to the 500. (laughs) Because I keep going on about it. It's It's a really arbitrary number that doesn't mean (laughs) anything, but... You know, when you just like, you've got to aim for something. So there you go. I'll be really happy if we get 500.
2: Yeah. And then she'll talk about 600 and 700, everybody. Oh <laughs> no, as as...
1: after 500, you've got to go straight to 1,000, I reckon. Okay, okay, there <laughs> we go.
2: <laughs> I don't think we're going to stop talking about this for a while. Just before we do say a final goodbye, just a quick reminder of our Squiggly Career Advocates Awards. So we wanted to recognise and support... 100 people who are helping other people with their careers our mission is to make careers better for everyone and we recognize that that is not something that you do alone and we've seen over the past eight years the difference it makes when people help other people with their career development where they take Content from our courses and exercises from our book and tips from our podcasts, and they share it with people to help people with their development. So, if you are doing that, you know, whether it's using our stuff or you're doing it yourself, you know, maybe you're mentoring people, or maybe you're managing people in a way that helps them to explore their possibilities. If you are helping people with their career development, we want to help you. And we're running the Squiggly Career Advocates Awards to do just that. We're giving 100 people 12 months of free learning with us. That's sessions that Sarah and I are running. That's exclusive content that we'll provide for you. Everything to support you to support other people effectively. The information is on our website. So you can go to amazingif.com forward slash advocates and we will also put the information in the show notes and the link in this podcast. If you can't find any of that stuff, just go to Instagram at
1: amazingif, and you'll see it on our feed there. But yeah, we'd love you to enter. They're open until the end of March. So thanks so much for listening. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.